Fearing for Our Lives may contain content not suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. everyone, and welcome to Fearing for Our Lives, the podcast where two friends talk about what scares us the most. I'm your host, Ashley, here with your other host, Kenny. Hello. And I have a quick question. Okay. In terms of what we'll talk about on the podcast, what are you afraid of? (laughs) (laughs) I made it specific because I'm not talking about what gives you an existential crisis. Okay. In terms of what scares me that we're going to talk about on the podcast, it's pretty much everything. Like, (laughs) I'm a bit of a baby. I don't watch scary movies. I don't read scary things. I don't listen to (laughs) true crime podcasts. What a weenie. Yeah, I am not a fan of anything scary. Not necessarily because I can't handle the fear but because my mind takes whatever I'm afraid of and it just amplifies it to the point of me not being able to sleep at night. Oh. Yeah. Like, do you remember the movie The Tooth Fairy? (gasps) Don't talk to me about The Tooth Fairy. (laughs) That was the freakiest movie. I hated it. I was staying at my grandparents' house and... I must have been 10 years old, and I was just cruising basic cable looking for something to turn on, and I saw a movie called The Tooth Fairy, and I was like, oh, that'll be good. So I turned it on, and (laughs) to this day, whenever I leave a room and turn off the lights, I sprint until I'm back in a room that has lights on. You are a grown man. (laughs) Apparently not. If I can't be in a room that's dark, I'm not a grown man, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that movie definitely scarred me more so if I was outside and it was dark. Okay. Why outside? My older sister lives across the street. And when we were younger, mom would have me go take stuff over there real quick and then come back to the house. And we live in Michigan, so it gets dark in the wintertime at five. (laughs) And it'd be like six o'clock, and she's like, it's not that late, just go. And it's like, okay. (laughs) The tooth is gonna get me. Exactly. I would kind of fight her, and she'd be like, Ashley, just go. And I'd be like, fine, (laughs) fine, fine. If I don't come back, it's your fault. (laughs) And then I'd end up sprinting and freaking out the whole time but tooth fairy never got you no you're too quick i used to be these days i don't do much (laughs) running (laughs) in terms of true crime Mm -hmm. and things like that i have a kind of funny story oh please share with the class (laughs) (laughs) There was, which this isn't very funny. Um, I will preface it, this part of the story with that. There was a domestic violence case where we both reside. 
and the man or the woman, either one of them ended up stabbing the other. Oh, my God. And then fleeing from the house. And it prompted a search. Uh, I'm driving home from work. It's like 1130 at night. And all of a sudden, like four cops blow past me doing 100 with their lights on. And obviously that's really scary and disorienting. Especially in our small town. Like that doesn't happen. Like there's one cop car (laughs) and he's parked in the same spot all the time. So they blow past me and I drive into town. I make my way driving through the streets and you can see the cops driving from street to street with their spotlight just aimed and they're looking uh, in everyone's yards for this person. Do you, I'm so sorry, at this point, I mean, you're coming home from work, so you don't know what's going on, right? Right. I have no idea what's going on. I just see a bunch of cops, really strange behavior, and it's starting to make me, like I had said, where my mind makes everything seem way worse. (laughs) Right. So I finally, I pull into my driveway, my neighbor is up, and somehow they know what's going on. It's a small town and everyone knew what was going on. Yeah, fair enough. It is a small town, but it's 1130 at night. Mm -mm, Don't matter. (laughs) The good folks don't sleep when there's something going on. (laughs) So... I pull into my driveway. My neighbor sees that I've pulled into my driveway and they give me a call. And they're like, hey, just to let you know, there was domestic abuse and they stabbed them and are now fleeing from the police. And I was like, okay, I'm just just going to go into my house. I'll be fine. you know." So I get out of my car and I make my way to the porch. I get inside my porch because it's a closed off porch. And the door to my house is wide open. You know, I remember this story, but I'm getting a stomach ache all over again. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, shit. There's a guy on the loose and he's stabbing people. (laughs) And I'm his next victim. So I decide in a moment of bravery that I'm going to go to the garage and get my baseball bat. I'm so proud of you. Yep, yep. (laughs) I go to that garage and it is windy and it is raining, but I make my way to the garage, get my baseball bat, and now, you know, like, I'm a little wet and disheveled. (laughs) I make it back into the house and I just start going room by room by room, clearing it. And I'm checking behind everything, holding my baseball bat at the ready. And I'm just shouting. I'm like, hello? (laughs) Hello? I know you're in here. I have a baseball bat. And I clear every conceivable hiding spot in my home. And nobody is here. And I'm filled with such anxiety at this point that I'm literally sweating. (laughs) And my stomach has become upset because I was so afraid. (laughs) Yeah, I I know what an anxiety tummy ache is. (laughs) So I go into the bathroom and since I'm hot and sweaty and now need to poop, (laughs) I strip buck naked (laughs) and start doing my business. And like I said, it's windy and rainy that night. And one of the branches comes off a tree that is above my house. 
and it lands on my house in the middle of me going to the bathroom. <laughs> and it's just a loud thud and the house shakes a bit. And I freak out all over again. I'm like, hello? <laughs> hello? I know you're here. And <laughs> oh, God. Needless to say, no one was there. I just must have like left the door open when I left because <laughs> I'm an idiot. And then had a self-induced panic attack. Nice. Yeah. So if, if that story doesn't tell you the essence of who I am as a person, I don't know what will. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. What scares you? Uh, well, also everything. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like the stories that feel real or like are real, like mm-hmm. the true crime stories we'll get to. There's aspects of them where I can kind of like compartmentalize and I'm like, yeah, he was crazy. And then I can go to bed at night because I'm like, oh, he's gone or he's in prison or blah, blah, blah. But there's other things that will stick with me longer and I don't know why. So like I can talk about how gross Ted Bundy is and it's whatever. But shadow people freak me the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) And I really don't know if it's because of the tooth fairy to be honest, but I just, I don't want to mess with it. (laughs) Like, like ghosts just in general, I feel like are one of my biggest things because you can't look at it. You you, you don't know where it is. You can't communicate with it. No, you can. And it's even worse when they do. You're like, (laughs) are you Timmy? And there's like, Multiple knocks in the walls. Mm-mm. 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 Not I'm... now, Timmy. <laughs> Never mind. It's your house. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so for some reason, those are the ones that tend to really freak me out. Okay. So the paranormal stuff. Yeah. And I mean, some of the true crime stuff, like I really don't like cannibalism. I don't know why. It's just ugh. like the, uh, no, we're going <laughs> to. <laughs> Sorry. I, re- I hate it. But then I can sit here and I can probably talk to you all day about someone, I don't know, getting stabbed like 36 times and just being like, yeah, which means, you know, they must have been known by the killer. And then I spiral into the psychology of it and I can compartmentalize. But it's cannibalism and shadows, man. (laughs) You don't know anything about the psychology behind cannibalism to make it okay? Not okay, but like to... To put away. Yeah, to put to away. To be able to go to sleep. <laughs> Their frontal lobe was just a little bit smaller, and that makes people think <laughs> that other people look good to eat. I'm going to just tell you right now, that's not the case. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think maybe because it does freak me out, I haven't really looked into it. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't go looking for any of this stuff, so... I'm really excited to force you to go looking at this stuff. <laughs> I've already done my research for next week, and I played it pretty safe. Oh. Like, I'm I'm going to be able to sleep just fine, and I'm going to explain to you what it is, and you're going to be like, uh, so what part about this makes us fear for our lives? And I'm like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> it's okay. It'll only be your second episode, so I'll, I guess I'll let it go. <laughs> but if your second episode doesn't make me freaked out then we'll have problems 
Because then you'll have a streak of being, you know, the less scary guy. Got it. Episode two, cannibalism coming up. <sighs> Just don't do Ted Bundy. He's so overrated. Okay. He's gross. And I'm sure we'll talk about it, but. I'm sure we will. Ugh. Should we get to the ads? I guess so. Okay. Are you looking for a stunning sign for your business? Or maybe you're looking for ways to turn your house into a home. Look no further than Northridge Creations. Get beautiful and often customizable metal signs and wall art to add that final touch. Offering a powder coat finish and a variety of colors, you can make your piece not only more eye-catching, but weatherproof and rust-resistant for life. Guaranteed. Northridge Creations also offers custom backlighting and can create custom bonfire pits and outdoor fixtures like mailboxes and address signs. Basically, if you can imagine it, they'll be able to do it. Our producer, Kenny, recently got a custom sign made for his mom for Christmas, and she loves it. It's a honeycomb shape that says, be happy with a B on it, and it looks amazing. We were all really impressed by how it turned out. So if you're looking for something custom or to see what they have, you can find them at northridgecreations.com or follow them at Northridge Creations on Facebook and Instagram. And make sure you use code FFOL for 15% off. That's northridgecreations.com and promo code FFOL for 15% off. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about the Cecil Hotel, which is a pop culture phenomenon. Do, 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 do. (laughs) (laughs) What? You know that... The, the phenomenon do 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 song. <laughs> I hear that in my head anytime someone says the word phenomenon. Phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no, I hear it. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, it just fits, and I'm. I know it's ridiculous. I know, but that's that's what I hear. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry to derail us like a immediately. second. Immediately. <laughs> hey, you said the word phenomenon. I'm a child. Do, 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 do. Anywho. <laughs> so this week, we're going to talk about the Cecil Hotel, which is a pop culture phenomenon. <laughs> That's been featured in many different shows, podcasts, and works of literature. And while it's been most recently featured in the Netflix original series, Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, it was also an inspiration for the fifth season of American Horror Story. When you say works of literature, Mm -hmm. is that a nice way of saying clickbait on the internet? No. Well, yes, (laughs) (laughs) especially most recently with the Netflix stuff, but it's also uh, been written about. So there's the aptly named... The Cecil Hotel by C.L. Sweeney or Swinney. Um, Gone at Midnight, the tragic true story behind the unsolved internet sensation by Jake Anderson. And Haunted History, The Cecil Hotel by Lynn Gibson, just to name a few. Gone at Midnight, the tragic true story behind the unsolved internet sensation is a mouthful. Do you think anyone told that to Jake Anderson or they were just like, great title, bro. You really nailed it. Actually, I'm pretty sure most true crime based books are they're either like those one word titles Mm -hmm. where it's like banished or 
bloody or something <laughs> really weird. <laughs> bloody? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just one word. Or it's an entire monologue. <laughs> okay. I I didn't know that. My arrogance is showing. <laughs> or not arrogance. Um, What's the word? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We can't sing that. That's, I'm sure that's got legal ramifications to it. We didn't sing all of it. <laughs> if you're a youth on the TikTok, you know what we're doing. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. That's really interesting. I wonder what the most characters or words have ever been on a single book is. That like, was the weirdest way to phrase, I wonder what the longest title is. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I don't know. That seems like something we should Google and put up as a fun fact after the episode airs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I love that. I'm going to get on that. Okay. <laughs> so most characters. I'm sorry. Shut I'm up. sorry. <laughs> um, okay. I'm sorry. I got us off track already twice. I, You're a mess. I am. I need to. I need to reel it in. It's like you don't listen to podcasts. I don't. <laughs> this is, well, I mean, I've listened to the ones I've edited. Right. But this is, yeah. A new game. <laughs> All right. So the Cecil Hotel, which is located in Los Angeles, is a 19-story building with 700 guest rooms. This place is huge. Okay. It was built by hoteliers William Banks, Charles L. Dix, and Robert Shops in the 1920s, and they spared no expense on this. The building itself cost them $1.5 million, and then they spent an additional million just to furnish it. And because they spared no expense, the Cecil was beautiful, with a gorgeous marble lobby filled with stained glass and palm trees, which was perfect because when it opened in 1927 it was expected to host the most extravagant of businessmen and socialites okay unfortunately it was only three years later that the great depression hit and the cecil was not exempt of that economic crisis i mean no business was exempt from that so that's not really a surprise right no not really a lot of people were losing their homes and businesses at this time obviously especially in this area we see a huge spike in the homeless population. And as a result of that, this whole area falls into chaos. And it doesn't take long for that chaos to seep into the Cecil Hotel. What kind of chaos are we talking about? Um, the sad kind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the hotel essentially becomes a magnet for evil, for a lack of better terms. Okay. We start to see a really long list of death and tragedy take place on the premises. And just for you, I'm going to list it. <laughs> so strap in. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get comfortable. Give me a second. All right. All right, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. So we start with the first documented tragedy, and that was a suicide that took place in 1931 where W.K. Norton who checked in under the name James Willis, ingested poison capsules. I wonder why you would check in under a fake name. You know, I really I really don't know, but a few of the other people who had come here to commit suicide that we'll get to, they also, like, checked in with fake names. There's actually a couple 
I believe there's two that had checked in and we still don't know their names. Really? To yeah. this day? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the next year in 1932, Benjamin Dodditch dies of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. And then in 1934, we have former Army Medical Corps Sergeant Louis or Louis D. Borden, who cut his own throat with a razor, which I feel would be crazy. Definitely. Like, I mean, if I'm doing it, I'm grabbing a gun. Like, I want it to be over quick and painless. Like, a knife seems super painful to me. Yeah. You know, I was going to I was going to immediately jump into a fun fact, but we'll move on. Is it relevant? Um. Well, yeah, I guess so. Then share with the class. <laughs> so uh, the one thing that I learned in psychology mm-hmm. was, well, one of the things, not the one thing. The one thing. <laughs> the one thing. I spent $60,000 <laughs> to learn this thing. Um, When men are committing suicide, they tend to take the fast and unavoidable approaches like shooting yourself with a gun. Okay. Whereas women will kind of use the act of attempting a suicide as more of a really intense cry for help. So they will take pills and essentially they'll they'll hope that they'll be found and they'll be rushed to a hospital. Um, men will sometimes kind of hide themselves when they're going to commit a suicide or they'll go where someone really won't find them. Whereas the woman who's taking the pills will try to take them like 20 minutes before she knows her husband should be coming home, Mm. hoping that he'll find her and that sort of a thing. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really weird. There's another weird fun fact uh, that when people are Googling how to hang themselves, which is really sad. Yeah. um, Different different people look up different things. What do you mean different people look up different things? So men will tend to look up the fastest way to hang yourself because I guess there's different knots. I mean, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you, I guess when you hang yourself with that faster knot, mm-hmm. it can sort of morph your face. It like pulls it funny. Okay. So you, you look really like distorted right. when you're found. Whereas when women are Googling it, like how to hang themselves, they will specifically Google how to hang yourself without like messing up your face. And I guess there's a knot that takes way longer to kill you. Mm -hmm. Like you're just dangling. Oh, yeah. I couldn't think of a better word. (laughs) And you've chose dangling. Yeah. But um, but then the face is fine. Okay. And that way when they're found, they still look like themselves. It seems really weird to me to mm-hmm. make it that far into a Google search about hanging yourself. What do you mean? Well, like you Google how to hang yourself and realistically, I'm going to stop reading after I see how to tie the knot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to keep reading to see, oh man, this is going to distort my face. I better find a different knot. Yeah, I guess that's true. Right? It is weird. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. We should get back on topic. We keep taking little <laughs> side roads to get I mean, where we're going. You told me to take this side road. I'm not blaming you. I, I definitely put us on this path. <laughs> Again. But, but let's get back on path. Okay, 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 okay. Um, in 1937, Grace Morgo fell from the ninth story window 
but she fell into wires, like telephone wires, okay. and they ended up wrapping around her, and they were still wrapped when she hit the ground, and Oof. she ended up dying later in the hospital. Now, you said she fell. Does that mean she fell, or did she jump? Well, uh, the officers didn't see any signs of a struggle or anything, so okay. being pushed was completely out of the options. Okay. Um, But they couldn't quite tell if it was a fall or a jump, they labeled it as a fall because there weren't any suicide notes anywhere from her. Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah, so it wasn't an obvious jump, so they labeled it a fall, but technically we don't know. Okay. Um, in 1938, United States Marine Corps Roy Thompson jumped from the ninth floor, or the top floor, which is the 19th floor. Uh, the next year, in 1939, Navy officer Erwin Neblett ingested poison and then the next year, Dorothy Seeger also ingested poison in 1940. And then we get to 1944, and it's one of the most tragic cases that's ever happened at the Cecil. What What about this case is especially tragic? Uh, I mean, just all of it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so Dorothy Jean Purcell was 19 at the time. And she was sharing the room with her 38-year-old boyfriend, Ben Levin, or Levine. Okay. Now, Dorothy, she's just laying next to her boyfriend, and she starts to feel really weird. And she goes into the bathroom and realizes she's giving birth to a child she did not know she was pregnant with. Oh, man. Yeah. That's literally one of my biggest fears. I just don't know how you could not know that you're pregnant. Oh, I know. But the weirdest thing is that I know someone, like a family friend, who gave birth to a bouncing baby boy when she thought <laughs> she had kidney stones. What? Yeah. So she just went to the hospital for kidney stones and then popped out a baby? Yeah. That would suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're good. <laughs> no. Oh. Yeah, because, like, nothing, you're not, you're not ready. Right. And it's just... It's just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so Dorothy's in the bathroom. She's giving birth as quietly as possible. She doesn't want to wake up Ben, which doesn't make any sense. Ben's not even awake? No. She just quietly goes into the bathroom. He's not the one for you, honey. No. If, if you can't wake him up and be like, hey, something's seriously wrong. <laughs> Will you help me? He's not the one. No. So she gives birth, and she believes that it's a stillborn. And for some reason, she then decides to throw the newborn out the window where he lands on the roof of an ad adjacent building. That's... I... Oof. Yeah. Can you imagine being in that adjacent building and you're just like sipping your morning cup of coffee and you, you witness that happen? Like, where does your day go from there? I mean, oh, I was about to say a really dark joke. <laughs> I was going to say it can only go up from there. Oh. Yeah. But I mean, Janice is sitting there like talking about what she did with her euchre pals the previous night. And you're like, yeah, Janice, I watched a baby fly out a window at seven in the fucking morning. So just shut up. <laughs> wow. Me and Janice at work have some beef. It sounds like it. <laughs> Sorry, Janice. 
So Dorothy, of course, is charged with murder. But after she's evaluated by three psychiatrists, she's deemed to have been mentally confused at the time and was found not guilty by reason of insanity, which I totally agree with in this instance. Right. Like, I mean, nobody in the right mind delivers a baby without waking up their significant other and then thinks it's stillborn and decides to get rid of it in that manner. Right. Just the whole thing is... whole thing is some sort of fucky. Yeah. (laughs) But that's why I was saying, this case is like the most tragic case of the Cecil. Yeah. So we get through that. Mm -hmm. And in 1947, uh, Robert Smith jumps from the seventh floor. And then in 54, Helen Gurney also jumped from the seventh floor. In 1962, Julia Moore jumped from the eighth floor. And later that same year, Pauline Otten jumped from the ninth floor. And she landed on a man named George Gianni, killing them both instantly. I'm looking at your face and you're just (laughs) shocked. There's so much, so many crazy things are happening at this hotel. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine just strolling around the street, you know, thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, thinking about what kind of panini I'm going to order, and all of a sudden, I am crushed. Just, I'm I'm assuming he died instantly. Like, the last thing he, that went through his mind was, am I going to get regular mustard or spicy brown? And then, (laughs) pitch black. Oh, God. (laughs) That was a little dramatic. I loved it, though. (laughs) The really crazy thing, though, is the way that the police found out that he was on the street. Okay. So at first, they thought that George and this woman, Pauline, Mm -hmm. that they jumped out of the ninth floor together. Okay. But then they noticed two things. First was, I guess when you're jumping out of a building, you lose your shoes, or at least one of them. Really? Yeah, I have no idea why. It's like, something I'll really have to Google. You should. I want more details on that. Yeah. Without failure, you lose a shoe, at least one. Uh, yeah, that's what I was was reading was saying. Wow. I think it's on impact. It just kind of like explodes off your foot. We're going to need <laughs> to get like Neil deGrasse Tyson on here so he can explain to us the science of a shoe falling off. Right. Oh, that's kind of a dark way to talk to Neil, though. I love him too much. (laughs) (laughs) Anything, anything to just talk to that dude. Honestly. But so George had both of his shoes on. Okay. And then the other thing was that they noticed both of his hands were in his pants pockets. (laughs) He was thinking about that panini. (laughs) Do you just keep saying panini because his last name was Giannini? Oh, my God. (laughs) Are you kidding? I've never thought about a panini in my life, but for some reason, it's embedded in my head right now. It's got to be because they vaguely sound the same. You're the worst. I'm not the worst. (laughs) You immediately attached a sandwich to this man. (laughs) You're like, he's walking around thinking, huh. I'm George Giannini, and I want a panini. Do I want spicy brown mustard, though? He did. He did want spicy brown mustard. (sighs) Okay. 
So we have that chaos. And then two years later, we have our only known and confirmed murder to happen within the Cecil Hotel in 1964. So Pigeon Goldie Osgood was a resident of the Cecil, and she was found dead in her room on June 4th. And she'd been beaten, raped, and stabbed, and her room had very clearly been ransacked. To this day, her murder is still unsolved, which is, it's just sad. That is sad. They, the police, I guess at the time, were just kind of like strolling around and someone ran into a guy who was just covered in blood. But because they couldn't identify it as hers and they couldn't say like there was any evidence proving he was in her room, they had to let him go. What? Yeah. It was all just circumstantial. I- Test the blood. It's on him. It's in the 60s. They don't know how to do DNA. (sighs) I mean, I don't know enough about this stuff to be able to say, like, when they should and shouldn't be able to test blood. But that's so infuriating. Yeah. Like, you caught a dude covered in blood and couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, the 60s were rough. (laughs) Unless you were a serial killer. Yeah, then life was really happened. Yeah, <laughs> it was the golden age. Well, um, okay, the golden age was like the 70s and the 80s, but oh. I'll let that slide. Okay. <laughs> In 1975, we have an unidentified woman who jumped from the 12th floor. Okay. And then sometime in the 80s, talked about serial, killer, serial killers. Mm-hmm. The Night Stalker. Or Richard Ramirez stayed at the Cecil Hotel for a few weeks where he would come back from his, I don't know, activities, I guess. Okay. Which is a really weird way of putting that. That was. Yeah. And I don't like that you took a pause before it. Well, because I wrote it in my notes. And when I wrote the notes, I was like, that feels weird. And I just want everyone to know, I don't know what else to call it. Fair. But it feels weird. Richard Uh, Ramirez, when he came back from his... activities (laughs) activities <laughs> you know what okay this is episode one i don't know if we'll keep going this is chaos anywho he's coming back covered in blood he throws his clothes in the dumpster in the back of the hotel and enters the building from a back door and no one said anything about this behavior even though multiple like people said that they saw this happen which really shows what the area around the cecil was like at this time and during the 80s, could you test DNA at this time? I think, if I'm right, it's like kind of mid to late 80s. Okay. Where that kind of stuff was starting to really take I'm, off. I mean, it's still weird. Nobody reported it, but it sucks that you couldn't have caught him. Well, I mean, they did catch him. Oh. And we'll talk about it later. He's a, I'm sorry for the language, but he's a real sick piece of work. I was going to call him something else. Yeah, I'm sorry for my language super PG sentence. You know what? I might bleep something in that sentence just to make it less PG. (laughs) I'm apologizing for just thinking about being a bad person, even though I'm pretty sure I said fuck earlier. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I do believe you've swore. Yeah. He's a sick motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Uh, in 1991, we have another serial killer, this one from Austria, visiting and staying at the Cecil for a short while. Jack Unterweger, I believe, was a convicted killer who'd been released. And then in the U.S. at the Cecil, well, saying at the Cecil, 
He strangled and killed at least three sex workers. Jesus. And he had been caught. Yes. And then I'm pretty sure we'll probably cover it, too, because I get mad when I start talking about it. I'm pretty sure socialites read like some poems he wrote in prison. Oh. And so they like pulled all the strings they had to get him out. And he was visiting the U.S. as a journalist. I need to know more about this because I've never even heard of the Night Stalker or Richard Ramirez, I think you said. And now I'm very intrigued. That was the first one. Okay. This one is Jack Unterweger. Okay. Well, apparently you have to cover both now because I've never heard of either. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We'll cover both for sure because, I mean, we're a podcast about creepy things. (laughs) Um, so in 1992, we have an unidentified male who was found in the alley who had either jumped, fell, or was pushed from the 15th floor window. It, is that what the report says? It was just an unidentified male who either jumped, fell, or pushed, was pushed from the 15th floor? Uh, from the information I found, yeah, that was pretty much it. Those cops were so done with the Cecil Hotel at this point. It was that guy's like last day and he had investigated every single case up to this point. And he was like, not anymore. It's just another jumper. Just another jumper. This one's on you, Rook. And then he just walked away. Ugh. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we flash forward to 2013. Mm-hmm. It has been 21 years since the last recorded tragedy at the Cecil Hotel, which is the longest gap in the timeline, if anyone is still paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Elisa Lamb, who was a Canadian citizen on a solo trip in the United States, uh, arrived in sunny Los Angeles on January 26th, and two days later, she checked into the Cecil Hotel. Now, at the time, the Cecil Hotel had changed its name to Stay on Main, and while some of the floors at the top were more permanent residents, Elisa checked into the hostel-style rooms being offered. Ah, uh, forgive me if this is a silly question. Mm-hmm. What is a hostel-style room? Like, it's aggressive? It's angry at you? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's where you can check into a room with essentially roommates. Okay. That way, everything is cheaper. So you don't really know who you're rooming with or anything, but... It's just a, essentially like a bunch of people being crammed into an apartment, so everyone only has to pay $10. <laughs> okay, got yeah. it. So she checks in, and she's relatively quickly moved to another room due to complaints from her roommates. Uh, allegedly, the complaints were about her odd behavior, where she would lock the door after they'd leave, and then she'd require a password to let them back in. And she would leave notes that said, go away or go home. Yikes. Yeah. This does not sound like a woman who should be traveling alone. Or should be in a hostel with a bunch of roommates. Yeah, she does not sound all there. Yeah. Yeah. So, So because this was a solo trip, Elisa was calling her parents every day to check up with them. You know, she's she's a college student, but she's in a totally different country. Right. However, on February 1st, the day she was meant to check out, she did not call her parents. So fearing for their daughter's safety, they decide to file a missing persons report and officers arrive to the Cecil to start the investigation. Now they do what they can when they arrive. They search her room and see what was going on. 
And it looked like there were things strewn about, but it was more as if she just sort of took stuff out of her suitcase and then left. It wasn't like anyone had gone through her room. Okay. So it wasn't super helpful there. Was that the only room that they searched? Yes, unfortunately, because there were no signs of, you know, a struggle or foul play. They didn't have any cause or reason to get a warrant for everyone else's rooms. Okay. Because essentially she could have just up and left. I mean, she's an adult. Right. So they bring dogs in next. And the dogs really don't show them anything. They don't lead them anywhere. Just around her room in like by the fire escape that was outside her window. But that doesn't really help. Later, they brought in a helicopter to illuminate the roof, but they didn't find anything. And there's just not a whole lot to go off of from any of that. So the police then went to the CISO Hotel's cameras, and they found that some floors just didn't have cameras, Mm -hmm. and Elisa was staying on one of those floors. Of course she was. Yeah. They do, however, get some information from this. So the lobby footage, they can tell that after she'd last entered the hotel, she did not leave, at least not out the front of the lobby. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they find the infamous clip of her from the elevator camera. And this is the last time Elisa is seen and known to be alive. And she's just acting really weird. Weird how? Well, if you haven't seen the video, I'm just going to say it right now. Go and see it. Because I have a, a little blurb. It's a little long. But it's to kind of talk through the video just so everyone can get a kind of sense of what was so weird. Okay. Either way, though, you should go see it (laughs) because words really don't put it into perspective. (laughs) So in this video, Elisa enters the elevator and she's studying the buttons real closely. And then she backs up and you can see that she hit like three or four. And then suddenly she kind of like lunges out. Like, with her head and just frantically looks back and forth down the hallway, like, hanging out of the elevator. And then she backs up and she pokes her back to the side wall and then thinks for a second and slides over to make herself smaller and get into the corner of the elevator by the buttons like she's trying to hide. Okay. And the doors are still open, even though she's hit the buttons. (laughs) So then, you know, she gets curious, I guess. And more cautiously, she kind of peeks out, and I guess she doesn't see anything, because then she bunny hops out of the elevator into the hallway, which is even weirder. That is weird. Once outside the elevator, she puts her back to the left wall, so we almost really can't see her. But you can see her put her hands to her head, almost like she was just running, you know? And she sits there for a second, and then she turns and lowers them. Almost exasperatedly as she enters the elevator again, she starts pushing all the buttons now. And then as soon as she's hit all the buttons, she steps out again. And this is where the behavior gets really strange. This is really the part that everyone needs to see. Okay. She starts waving her hands in a really weird way, almost like she's petting a large animal, like the back of like, I don't know, like a horse or something. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple gestures that are smaller. Almost like sign language. And then she just turns and leaves. And the doors are still open. Now, you keep stressing that the doors are still open. Yes. How much time has elapsed 
in all of that, you know, between the bunny hopping and the sign language and the petting the imaginary horse. (laughs) So I don't technically know because when you look at the footage, there is a blimp where some of it has been like actually cut out from the from the video that you can see online that the Los Angeles Police Department released. Um, which has created theories of like someone's trying to hide something, but they could also have been trying to hide the identity of someone just walking by, okay, like the elevator, right. and she was just like kind of standing there or something. I'm pretty sure it's about two minutes, if I remember right. So a sizable amount of time. Yeah, she's just waiting. It's weird. She's like kind of. It, it, you almost get the feeling that she needs to be in the elevator for something. Hmm. But then at the very end, she just walks away. She, she just walks away from the elevator. Yeah. And that's the last time she's seen. Yeah, that is the last time that she is known to have been alive, was walking away from that elevator camera. That's nuts. Right. So police get all of this mostly unhelpful information and evidence in terms of finding her. It's helpful in the way that they can tell she, at least from what they can see, wasn't, you know, in a struggle in her bedroom or anything. So they get all this evidence, and then the case is forced to be paused due to a former LAPD officer, Christopher Dorner, who started a, quote, killing spree that included the very detailed Facebook manifesto and the deaths of Monica Quinn and Keith Lawrence. I'm probably going to go into that later. It's nuts because due to the severity, literally all LAPD officers were occupied with this for almost a week. Wow. So this is a missing persons case and they lose like six or seven days. Right. Which is huge because everyone knows the first 24 hours are the most important. Not everyone. I didn't know that. I think there's like a whole TV show show about it. I I told you I don't watch or listen to spooky things. I'm going to school you so much. <laughs> I'm so excited. I might, I think this is the first time I felt like confident that I know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. On the 6th, so seven days, or seven, five days later, the LAPD finally have a press conference and Elise's parents are present. However, even more time passes with no helpful leads, so that's when they decide to release that elevator clip to the public. Okay. It goes viral because it is weird, but there's no good leads that come out of it. I mean, understandable. Like, no, you said nobody's in the video or anything, right? Yeah, no one's in the video, but no one watching or in the area like is calling to say, oh, I saw her, which was the whole point of putting it out. Okay, I gotcha. Right. So then on the 19th, the lobby gets calls from guests complaining about the low water pressure. So the lobby's getting these calls. The guests were moved at first, but it didn't solve the problem. So they have maintenance worker Santiago Lopez go up to the roof to check the water tanks. There is, in one of the tanks, the body of Elisa. Oh, God. Yeah. And just to kind of rein it in, people were saying the water tasted funny. Right. 
and was discolored. Yeah. The moment that her body was reported, there was an FDA shutdown and a no drinking statement for the Cecil. Well, obviously. I was going to say, obviously. Yeah, but it had already happened, which is really gross. I'm going to move on. Thanks for singing through that. Yeah, I needed to to get through this. I feel I hate it. You started at the beginning of this podcast being like, I use complex sociological tricks to compartmentalize everything I'm no, afraid no, of. No, this is, no, this is just kind of like cannibalism. Uh, okay, fine. So I fine. had to sing through it. Yeah, I'm to. sorry. I'm sorry. I questioned you, Don't apparently. ever come at me in my methods <laughs> ever again. Just thanks for not using copyrighted material or, uh, you know. Right. Or fun TikTok songs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So her clothes were found floating around her body, and there was already moderate decomposition of the body. During the autopsy, there were no signs of physical harm, such as bruises or lacerations or trauma to the head or anything. There was also no sexual assault, um, like signs found, and her toxicology report came back fairly clean. Fairly clean? How does a toxicology report come back fairly clean? Well... Okay, so Elisa's sister tells police that Elisa had bipolar disorder and she was taking four medications for that. Okay. Her sister also informed them that she'd never talked about suicide, nor had there been any previous suicidal attempts. So, like, that's important. Like, this wasn't something that she might have been planning or something. Right. And when you look at the toxicology report, which I did, which was kind of weird because it was my first, like... I don't know, autopsy report. That's kind of cool. It actually. was kind of cool. Would you go to like uh, autopsyreport.com? I'm pretty sure it's like .org. It's not secure though. Oh. So. <laughs> but it was the real report. Okay. Which was crazy. That is. And um, yeah, so the only things that had shown up in the toxicology report were traces of her medication. So okay. that's really it. After the autopsy, because, (laughs) again, there's not much going on, the coroner states that the immediate cause of death was drowning, with her bipolar disorder being a contributing factor, most likely. That should, you know, be the end of it, but we wouldn't be talking about it if that was. (laughs) And there wouldn't be a Netflix show about it. So... I just, right off the top, I really want Netflix to start, like, throwing us ads. So, I'm going to talk about them. <laughs> Why would they advertise for us? Because we're talking about it. <gasps> Maybe we should stop talking about it. That way they, they pay us to do so. I'm, I'm a genius. I'm uh, never talking about Netflix without money again. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, who do you think has a bigger audience? Netflix? Or us. Well, obviously Netflix, but they throw stuff out like that all the time. As a person who listens to true crime podcasts, I can promise that there's stuff like this that gets put out on other podcasts. Yeah, this stuff gets put out, but are they running like Netflix isn't advertising for them? Did I say it the wrong way? I meant like Netflix pays them so that they'll talk about Netflix. Oh. Did I say it wrong? I mean, or maybe that's what you said. I just don't think that's probable. Okay, after this, I'm finding you an ad <laughs> for Netflix. Okay. 
Anywho. <laughs> Uh, people were confused as to how she even got onto the roof, how she got into the water tank, and what was going on in that video, obviously. Right. So getting onto the roof was tricky, as all the doors leading up to the roof were locked and armed with alarms, but it was later discovered that if you could get onto the fire escape, you could get up there pretty easily, bypassing the alarms and locks. And if you could remember, she had like a fire escape right outside her room. The dogs had sort of gone like by that when they brought the dogs in. The tanks are another problem, however. All four tanks are four by eight feet and they're propped up on concrete blocks with no fixed access to them. Like the janitor or the maintenance guy has to like shimmy a ladder to be able to climb it. There's no like like steel ladder to the side of it. Right. So that would have been a little weird. And the lids are heavy in order to stay closed during storms and it would have been hard to just close it once inside. Or even open it without a ladder. Right. Or even on a ladder. Like I don't like heights. (laughs) (laughs) So that is something that people often bring up of like, what was that? And then as for the video, there are... Multiple theories with a range of probability. So the first theory is that she had been playing the elevator game. I would say think kind of Bloody Mary when you're thinking about it. So the elevator game is said to be a way to get to another world or parallel universe where you hit a sequence of floors in a building with 10 or more floors with the last stop at the top floor where you enter the other place or the parallel universe. It's a story that appears to have originated in Japan or Korea, and the way that she pushes all the buttons and seems really disoriented leads people to think of this game. I guess in the lore, if you like get out of the elevator too soon or something, you can get trapped, quote-unquote, in this mm-hmm. other place. So it just kind of made people think about it. And so some people who are really into those things are like, yeah, she definitely (laughs) was playing the elevator game. She didn't even ride the elevator, but she was playing. Yeah. She was playing. Yeah. (laughs) Or, I mean, if you want to really dig into it, all we do is see her come towards the elevator and start pressing buttons and stuff, Mm -hmm. which means she would have gotten out, hence the disorientation. Oh, okay. Fair point. You mm -hmm. win that. You win that one. Mm Mm-hmm. The next possibility was that she was being followed, possibly by someone who ended up hurting and or killing her, and then they dumped her body after. This sort of comes from the fact that police could not search other people's rooms due to the lack of evidence of a struggle. And they did check the roof on the day she went disappearing, right? Like, you said they took dogs and stuff up there. Well, yeah, but they didn't smell like the dogs didn't see anything and they hadn't checked inside the water tanks. Right. Cuz there really wasn't any reason to do so. And I guess you wouldn't like the dog wouldn't smell her scent on the top of a roof. Not really. Yeah. So kind of going with that on the autopsy again, there were no signs of bruising and the police theorized that if so she had water in her lungs, the way that she died was drowning. So essentially what you're saying is a unconscious, most likely, but still breathing person would have had to be, like, Elisa would have had to be carried up 
a ladder by someone, and she would have ended up bruising really bad, theoretically, from being just like haphazardly tossed into a water tank and being dragged up there. Okay. Because it would have been clumsy at best. Right. Like she should be bouncing on your shoulder if you're carrying her up. Right. And she's still she's still alive. She's just unconscious, theoretically, mm-hmm. if you're using that theory. So she would have bruised. There was still blood running through her if that was the case. Um, so third, we have the theory that she was on drugs and that it was causing the strange behavior. People have theorized the LAPD either missed possible drugs in their tests. They just didn't test the right ones. Mm-hmm. Or the drugs could have dissolved in the water in the decomp process as she was found so long after her disappearance. Okay. Um, and the last, and in my mind, most possible cause for both the video and ultimately her death was her bipolar disorder. So the coroner said that the amount of medication in her system was not what it should have been if she'd been taking her medications daily as she was meant to. Do we know what not taking the correct dosage of her medication would do? It could have, and I think she did, go into mania. So what mania is, or a manic state, is when people just get really, like, amped up and full of energy. I'm pretty sure it's dopamine. Their body just, like, flips the switch, and that's the only thing that's being pumped, which is not good. Um, You... You know, you can't really sleep, you can't keep still, and you almost have kind of like a high that makes you feel invincible. There are stories of people jumping out of buildings because in this state, they thought they were superheroes and there was nothing that could hurt them. Like, sincerely, like you fully think that you're a god and nothing can hurt you. Wow. Yeah. It's if it, if you don't catch it and it goes crazy and there's no one around to help you, it can escalate really incredibly. And you can start to hallucinate both visually and audibly, which is what I think might have been going on in the video. I think she might have thought someone was following her, and that's why she like is looking around really fast and then she tries to hide. And then because she's not really in her normal state, like something catches her eye or something and she's moving on to the next thing and she starts hallucinating about a horse or something and then she walks on because there's no solid handle on what's actually happening. Okay. I mean, she's hallucinating if this is the case. And I just think that that ultimately whatever she was hallucinating or thought was going on led her to try to go into the water tank and then my assumption is she just got stuck which is so so sad i can't i can't even imagine that like hallucinating to the point of accidental drowning right yeah like and if she's still hallucinating at this point does she even realize the danger she's in do you know what i mean like that's just that's scary to think about. Yeah. I think for as crazy, not as crazy as it sounds, it just, to me, that feels the most probable, as sad as it is. I mean, it, it sounds like that's what the LAPD were assuming were happening. Because you had said the coroner echoed that sentiment, right? Or, yeah. 
technically you're echoing his sentiment. Right. (laughs) Where the bipolar disorder was a contributing factor to the immediate cause of death, which was the drowning. Right. So, yeah, I'm fairly confident that that's what was going on. Either way, I'm not sleeping tonight. (laughs) Why? I, I don't know. It's just... Is it is it the baby thing? No. Is it like, the Elisa thing? I, I don't even know. I just get I get the feeling. I don't even know how to describe it. Well, but, you should try. It's an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just know. Like I'm I get this feeling in my stomach of un of unease. Oh yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I think that's the feeling of like, oh, just weird stuff does happen. Right. It's not all logical all the time. And in my mind, of course it's going to happen to me. <laughs> You're going to suddenly develop bipolar disorder and get into a manic state. Or and... like I'm going to accidentally play the door wall game where it's where you walk through a door wall twice forward and then backwards once and I teleported to an unparalleled dimension or some shit like that. I, okay. <sighs> Remind me not. No, you know what? I was going to say, I was going to try to be nice. I might talk about the hide and seek by yourself game next time. I don't even want to know what the fuck that is. Oh, God. It it involves a weird old-timey doll, rice, and I'm pretty sure you pretend to talk to Satan for a hot second because oh, you're purposely God. bringing in demons, and there's knives involved. I remember that, too. I don't know about you, but I'm now fearing for my life. <laughs> wow. Made a name drop. I love it. I mean, <laughs> it would have been better if I was like, I don't know about you, the listener, but now we're fearing for our lives. And then just cut. I don't know. It feels kind of hokey. Oh, yeah. It's super hokey. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Could just end on a lightning strike. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, before we figure out how we're ending, (laughs) let me tell everyone how they can find us. Fair enough. (laughs) Instead of you just cutting me off. I don't know. I've never been a part of this. I don't know how we end it. Okay. Well, that's true. So we end it by telling everyone to go and follow us on all of the social media at FFOL Podcast. Which all social media would be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Right. The main three. The main three. We don't have... Well, I think we technically do have a TikTok, but I am not on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Or... They can find us at our website, mm-hmm. fearingforourlives.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, you should give us five stars. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Maybe just leave a comment. Just be like, hey, guys. Because <laughs> I guess that's the best way to help out. I'm sure once we really figure this out, I will be sure. And I will be like every other podcast. It's like, guys, do it. It's the best way to help. Okay. But for now, I'm just saying, I think so. That's what everyone else says, so. And you can also listen to us on Spotify, uh, Apple Music. You can play us on Alexa. You can play us on Alexa. You can play us on whatever the Google equivalent of Alexa is. I think you just say, hey, Google. <gasps> oh, I'm sorry if someone's listening to this loud and I just <laughs> was like, hey, Google. Oh, my God, I said it again. <laughs> 
maybe we should maybe yeah. we should call it a quits okay, before we do any more damage. Yeah. Okay. Well, lightning strike. I'm anxious. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. See you guys. Bye.